0: Don't you think that they're kind of um that they kind of take advantage of the fact cuz this is a captive audience, right? Yeah. Students and 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 young people believe they've been conditioned to believe that they have to get a degree from a reputable institution um in order to make a viable living and so this is what they prey upon, that fear. Right.
1: Well, yeah, and I think, I think that is true. Um, I think that's changing a little bit. You know, I think that the past few years have um, shaken a lot of people up and it's making people um, question whether a four year degree is necessary and whether college is the only path. Um, And I think that's a combination of the COVID lockdowns and also a lot of the um, woke kind of education happening um, on campuses. But so yeah, there is that I think the captive audience part um, really applies um to the people who are already enrolled when this all happened, you know, because mm. there will be a lot of people that will say, just don't comply, just don't go to those schools. Well, that's good advice for somebody who was looking at schools pre mandate. But mm. there are still people in the system, my son is a senior, juniors are in that system, and maybe even sophomores who were they were on their way, and then the rules changed, right? So yeah, they are all captive populations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that that the universities and colleges are trying to take advantage of them necessarily. It's just I don't think I they haven't done the risk benefit analysis, and it's not and it's and and to, to expect a kid. To give up, um, like he committed to the college, he's burned all the other bridges, right? All the places he, that gave him money or gave him an acceptance. Mm-hmm. He's committed to the college. And now what's he going to do? Walk away from scholarships? Um, I mean, you could argue that, yes, that's, you should do that because you don't want to take the risk of this shot, but it's not an easy thing to do. So it's just, these policies have to end and um, they just have to end. <laughs>
0: I mean, we have all this, we have all this data on, um, the fact that COVID was relatively harmless to the young cohort. We have all this information now on the harmfulness of the vaccines, the injections. And yet you have all these universities, these colleges and universities that keep mandating this thing. I mean, what's, what's the justification? Are you hearing any justification from them on this Um. at this point?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, usually it's been my experience, um, both when I was with No College Mandates because I've stepped away from that organization to do independent work. I don't know if you knew that or didn't know that. I'm Did still, not. yeah, I'm still working in the arena and I could talk more about that later, but, um, it's been my understanding all along, um, from parents and from all the stakeholders I interact with. That most colleges won't even give you an answer when you say, you know, what's the justification. I personally um, wrote to Dartmouth, where my son is, um, last week, and I said, when will you end these mandates, these products don't stop transmission or infection. They're not needed to prevent a bad outcome for this particular age group. And most of your students have had COVID, right? (sighs) So when will you end them? And I got um,
0: we left that that part out. That's right. Most people at this point have had COVID
1: have had COVID and they had COVID at high rates, despite the fact that these campuses were, you know, 95, 98 percent, you know, fully vaccinated. Mm. So um, the response I got from them was a link to two CDC pages um, saying that, you know, it used to be that you needed them to protect the community. To protect the student and protect the community. You right. don't hear the protect the community anymore because it's widely known that these shots do nothing to protect my shot does not protect you. Your right. shot does not protect me. Right. And so they still fall back and say the shots prevent um, very bad outcomes. Right. And then they say some studies on that, but here's, here's my argument to colleges on that one point until a college will provide me and the public with the data set that shows what were their COVID pneumonia related hospitalizations of students? I'm just gonna stick in my lane to students. You know, This also applies to staff, staff and faculty, they're an older cohort, but particularly students. Where's your data set from pandemic start to vaccine introduction? How many students on your campus took severely ill and were hospitalized from COVID? How many died? Then from the point of vaccine to mandate, what's that number? And now mandate on, what's that number? Then take that at a similar sized university and com- compare to a similar sized university that has not mandated. So until you have those numbers to me, you cannot make a truthful assertion that these shots have prevented anything in the student population because you're basing that on studies that were done maybe in other populations, maybe on models, maybe um, backward looking data. And I know um, Dr. Andrew Bostom has submitted some FOIAs and, and requested this information from some universities. And he did find one hospitalization, but it was basically sort of an ER visit for hydration which, you know, I'm not dismissing, you know, nobody needs to get really sick that they have to be hydrated, but no college has had on their dashboards serious illness. You know, they don't have hospitalizations. And so either they don't want anyone to know or there aren't any. Right. So I don't think you can make that claim in good faith unless you have that data. Right.
0: I mean, it sounds to me like you're asking them to follow the science
1: yes we were always asking for that and i think you know when we first started with no college mandates um the other co-founder lucia sinatra and i we 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 were just so um enthusiastic we thought we're going to bring these people the data and and they're going to go oh yes you know we'll, we'll drop the mandates but it's never been that kind of conversation and so i you know we fast forward now um we're now looking at many schools have dropped the mandates. So that's great, right? Some had to because that was my next question. Governance. Are there,
0: are there changes in the, in the list of universities that have mandated this thing? Yes.
1: Um, and I would, I would refer everybody to the excellent list, um, on the website at no uh, dot com. And there are a couple of volunteers there that meticulously maintain this list. Now it doesn't, it doesn't have all colleges on it, but it will show you the colleges that have dropped. And I looked at that today and there might be um, 176 of them. Mm. Um, I don't think it included University of Chicago, that I still think they have a mandate, but they have not opt-out, so you, it's not really a mandate, just opt-out. Um, now, many of those colleges had to drop them, like all the Virginia State schools. Once Youngkin got elected and the right. AG Mayaris, I think his name is, you know, they had to drop. But many schools have just voluntarily dropped. But that leaves the many, many hundreds of schools that continue to mandate the primary series. Then there are about 200 schools that continue to mandate a booster. And we talked about this last time because I think we talked in September when they had just rolled out the bivalent booster, right? Yes. So schools that mandate a booster for all upperclassmen, I don't know, upperclass people, <laughs> for all upperclassmen who have been boosted before, they already met the requirement, but for any incoming student, that mandate was necessarily a bivalent booster mandate because at that time the regular booster was no longer available so they were mandating for their for a portion of their first year class a product that had only been approved based on rodent data that had never been tested in that age group and for which we have no efficacy or safety data really and then we're finding what a surprise that the safety profile for this new bivalent booster looks a lot like the safety profile for the original series. So you're going to have all the same issues, you know, potentially that the the original had. The the second thing is my husband's yelling at me, (laughs) got distracted. The other thing is now there are about 20 schools that have mandated in addition to their booster series an additional specifically, uh, specifically a bivalent booster. So that's, that list of shame is led by Harvard, Yale, Harvey Mudd, Fordham University, Notre Dame. Um, and, and I think the Notre Dame date is March 1st. Now think about a senior at Notre Dame. A senior at Notre Dame has had the primary series. Here she has had the booster. And now in order to stay enrolled and get their transcripts and graduate by March 1st, they have to take their fourth shot in under two years to graduate. So don't say to this kid, oh, just don't comply. You know, yeah. what What are they going to do if they can't get an exemption for that? Mm-hmm. So that situation is still on the ground. And what is particularly vexing to me and should be vexing to anybody is that this? The FTA has already signaled in late January they're going to, you know, they're thinking we should retire the primary series and just go to an annual shot. Well, if that's how they see it, then how does any college continue to mandate? If you're if you're following public health guidance, why would you continue to mandate the obsolete primary series? Number one. Great question. So you know none of this hangs together, um, and you know I, I think. And I'm no expert at all. You know, I'm just a mom who got upset about the booster mandate, organized some people, made a lot of contacts, and I'm still working in the arena. But I think you're going to see, because we're seeing it already, schools starting to drop these mandates because it's just such a ridiculous argument at this point. You know, they're obviously harm, they're risk mandates. We know there are serious adverse events from these shots for student age population this is a zero risk population from an adverse event for the otherwise healthy student for, from illness. Certainly if you want to get it, get shots, you know, it's up to you, but a, a student shouldn't have to take on the risk of the shots. Um, What I'm concerned about is even if most of these colleges drop them, they're just going to roll into the annual bivalent booster that they're cooking up just like the flu shot. And that product and again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert on this, but there's no reason to think that that product is not going to have all of the same issues that of of, of safety um, that the current products have. Same platform, same you know thing. And then the other thing is, and this is true of all of them. And then I'll stop. Is you know, there you, is no long term safety I data?
0: Listen, I can listen to you all day.
1: <laughs> Thank you but you wouldn't want to. Um, there is no long-term safety data for any of these products because there just cannot be, you know, it's too early. And so when people say these products are safe, we cannot know that. We can't, even if there weren't signals now that are very, very concerning, we cannot know that they're safe because they were rushed through development to novel technology. We were lied to about transmission and infection. That wasn't just a oops. We didn't know. They knew it was never trialed for. They were saying things that were just either they were hopeful to give them the benefit of the doubt or they were downright lying, either by omission or commission. And then the other thing is, I forgot the other thing, but, you know, because I'm getting on my soapbox here. But, um, oh, the other thing is, you know, we don't know what they're going to do to the reproductive system we just don't know. And we know that there's mental disruption. We know that there's sperm um, count suppression. We know that this product doesn't stay in the arm, right? So just those things alone should at the least have caution. And you know, all medicines carry a risk, right? I mean, even an aspirin in some people is going to be problematic, but why would you take a product that has this risk profile unless there was a real benefit for you? Like if you have cancer, You're going to take chemo, even though it's poison, because you want to live. right? Or if you're 90 years old and you're afraid of COVID, maybe you go like, I'm going to take the shot because maybe it'll help me. But if you're 18, what is the benefit? I I argue there isn't one.
0: I mean, I, I remember the last time we spoke, which as you mentioned a few moments ago, was months ago. We talked about a study that had just been released that actually showed that the vaccines and it seemed pretty conclusive to me that the vaccines were causing more harm in college age children than than good.
1: Yes. In fact, I was just looking at that study again. It was um, Kevin Bardosh was, I think, the lead author on that paper, Tracy Hogue, um, Allie Krug um, and a bunch of others. I don't want to misspeak on their names, but yeah, what they did is they did this analysis of um how many shots it would take to prevent um, a hospitalization in that age group versus how many severe uh, adverse events they were going to see with that number of shots. And they would expect, I think in they got 1.5 to 4.6 booster associated, and this is for boosters, this was a study, myocarditis per one hospitalization averted. So the risk of SAEs is greater than the hospitalization averted. And so they did this paper and I wanted to talk about this because we talked about it before and I was working with the authors sort of as a secretary to them and sending the um, paper to school newspapers with an offer to please interview these um, guys. And I um, sent to probably 30 or 40 schools and I started with the bivalent mandating schools. Not one student journalist not one took us up on the offer to interview and and the the email was very balanced we just want to open a conversation it wasn't hey you've got to stop these mandates it was just not one
0: no they're probably they're probably afraid to
1: i don't know if there's fear or because when i look at their profiles and when i look at uh, you know i think outside of this bubble People just think this is crazy talk. Mm. You know, I ran into somebody the other day who said they thought mandates was a very, they were a very good idea
0: Mm. because
1: that's how we got out of the pandemic. So it's hard to know.
0: Are you seeing any um, signs of parents? Has there been an increase in the number of parents that have looked into uh, your former organization, No College Mandates, or even the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing independently? Have you noticed an uptick in parents coming around?
1: Um, yes, I think that, um, well, one of two things happens when, like, the work it, it when in no college mandates, they are, um, what one of the really strong things that that organization does, is it, it provides a space for parents to find each other and get information. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that number continues to be very, very strong. And one of two things happens either they come in, they find out that they can get an exemption and then they relax for a while until the next, thing or they stay on it. And, you know, they're very active. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing more students, more parents of students who are looking at colleges coming in and just saying, I need more information. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I get that personally. I have a lot of friends and people um, in my Twitter reach um, and in the other work I do. So, yeah, people are very concerned and are looking to either go to schools that never mandated or schools that haven't been really draconian. And I would say you'd want to go to school that never mandated.
0: Are you seeing any kind of correlation? Is there any kind of pattern between the um, schools who either never had a mandate or have dropped? And are they are they in red states are the ones that mandated in blue states or is it really kind of a cross section? I
1: I think it's all over. Um, I think there are some states where they can't mandate. So their state school systems won't. But certainly. The, the blue states are the worst. The elite schools are the worst. Um, but you can't really say a red state thing because here in Indiana, which is ostensibly a red state, the mm. Indiana university system mandates the vaccine. They probably would have mandated the booster, but there was a lawsuit. And even though they lost that probably put them back on their heels. Um, and Notre Dame is in Indiana. So, you know, mm. it's, it's very difficult to make that strict correlation, but there aren't too many elite schools, and I hate to use the word elite. I mean, like the hardest to get into schools that don't mandate. But speaking of that, I wanted to bring up something that I'm working on um, that I just want to start talking about. And um, yes. I've been working um, coordinating this like national group, and there are a lot of different people in that group. So there's like a network happening, and one of A lot of the people in that group work with REACT-19, which, as you probably know, REACT-19 is is an organization that helps the vaccine injured. Um, And it's an amazing organization. Anyway, long story short, and this sort of segues into that, some time ago, like several months ago, there was a Dartmouth alumni, um, alumna um, named Michael, who didn't like the policy at his school. He graduated in 2000. So he wrote an open letter to Dartmouth. And you can see this letter at It's It's up on the web now. And he sent it to Dartmouth, and then he sent it to 20 of his fraternity brothers. Mm. And one of his fraternity brothers contacted him, and it turns out that he is vaccine injured. And he Mm -hmm. is the legal advisor for React 19. And so they knew who I was, and then they found out through React 19, how to get a hold of me, and so we started working on this project. Um, they had the desire that we put up a panel discussion at Dartmouth um, because that was their school of interest, and for me, it's my school of interest too. But I'm also interested in colleges more broadly, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so we were going to put up this um, fair, balanced discussion of COVID nineteen mandates at colleges at Dartmouth. And the goal is to have this balanced discussion. We're inviting Dartmouth to the table. And we've gotten commitment from um, the following panelists. It's very exciting. Dr. Asim Maholtra, Brooke Jackson, um, Martin Kuldorf. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking. Oh, that's, um, a, that's, a
0: power, that's a power panel already.
1: Janine Yunus from the New Civil Liberties Alliance, Todd Zawicki, who is a professor of law at George Mason, and he sued them on natural immunity. Um, and then our keynote dinner speaker is going to be Aaron Seary. Wow. So, um, that <laughs> is in the very preliminary stages. And I just wanted to get that out there because, um, what we're hoping, we hope Dartmouth will come. We you know we're going to invite them to send panelists. They're aware that the event is going to take place. We're in the very early stages and we need to, we need to fundraise for it. I mean, that's just, you know, we have the commitment, but we're going to need to fundraise and the fundraising apparatus isn't quite up yet. But if anyone is interested in being on the mailing list for tickets for the panel and for the dinner, or if they'd like to be an angel donor, um, all the proceeds beyond expenses are going is going to go to react 19. Mm. Um, just send an email. If you can I t- t- tell you the email address or you want to put course. it in the show notes? Of course, okay. I'll put it in the notes. It's just Dart D-A-R-T-C, letter C nineteen, Dart C nineteen at protonmail.com. So it's it's very exciting because what we're hoping to do, we're hoping to achieve an actual discussion on risk benefits with a college's participation. And if they want to participate, then we'll just move ahead and discuss it anyway.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right yeah they can take part or they're gonna not take part but it's yeah. going forward when when is it going to take place april 26th oh, you know. okay so there's plenty of time for people to get involved and and sure. Show their
1: support sure yeah um so that's very exciting because i think if you can get one college to engage or get one elite school to finally flip um i think that will nudge people but again the the biggest concern that everyone should have right now is that they're just going to roll right in to the annual shot, that it won't be a big deal. It'll be like all the other shots you have to get to go to college. And so I think that there has to be vigilance now and people need to let their colleges know now that that's, you know, going to be an unacceptable
0: thing. I think that's, I think that's spot on. They've made up their mind that they're coming after this age group and they're going to try and, you know, do whatever they can to achieve that goal, which is an injection in in every arm. You, you put up something on Twitter not too long ago, which I found kind of interesting. Um, I believe it was Tulane University that said that their mm-hmm. mandate is still in place, but they're accepting all declinations.
1: Right. Um, and I found that out because a, a friend of mine in the network, her son got into Tulane and he wanted, you know, he had a religious, you know, his religion. He had to he had to commit to them because he was early, and so I just did a little research for her. And yeah, they have a declination form. They used to require an interview, um. So some colleges did. They would they'd have to the kid has to watch like a film or talk to a peer advisor. You know, just as part of the coercion. But yeah, they have an opt out of that, so it's great. It's it's a mandate in name only. So on the one hand, it's great, but on the other hand, and and there are other schools like this too where it's very easy to get an exemption it's troubling because most kids, most families do ha- they have no idea that they don't have to get the shot.
0: So they don't I mean, advertise it.
1: Oh, no, they don't. So it's, it's, it, you know, on the one hand, it's great because if you know, you can just say, I don't, I don't have to do this, but it's even worse than an actual mandate. Right. Because it, it's like, almost like, well, the rest of you people, you know, it's, it's almost like a class society or something. And I, mm-hmm you know, it's, it's not, it's a terrible, it's terrible coercion.
0: I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) Oh, who am I kidding? That's exactly, (laughs) that's exactly what I want to sound like, but your work, um, and I want to sound this way because five, six months down the road, we usually turn out to be right, but your Mm. work has uncovered this connection between um, the funds that universities receive from not just federal agencies, but federal health agencies. And it's not Mm -hmm. a little bit of money, is it?
1: No, it's not. I mean, some schools are way worse than others, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult thing to suss out in terms of, Hey, we'll give you this money. If you vaccinate, you know, if you get December, it's not, it's, it's very subtle, much
0: more subtle than that.
1: Um Yeah, it's like this gravy train of money from the federal government. Even private schools get it. I've said this number before. I should probably look it up again to make sure I'm quoting it right. But the eight Ivy League schools get like three and a half billion dollars every year um together. And they're all private. Right. You know, the only partially land grant school, I think, is part of Cornell is a state um, college. Um The UC system, same. Everybody gets all this federal money. And i think about 62% of it comes from the department of health and human services um and they are not a disinterested party in vaccination right because they even you know they hold an age hold pet pa- holds patents with moderna mm. um but it's it, it, so it's that and it's also um and a lot of the pe- the professors have labs that are funded you know to do their research from these government grants and it's like in any science like climate science um I don't know, reproductive science, you know, and you name it. If you want to do work on something that is against the narrative, you're just not going to get funded. Right. You know, it's sort of an, and I think that's true in any walk of life. You know, if I ask you for money and I'm going to do something you don't want me to do with it, you're not going to give me the money. Right. right. So, so there's that overlay. And then there's also, um, I looked up today, the white house college or campus vaccine challenge, that page is still up.
0: That page oh, is still this.
1: up, right? It's
0: all fun, right? Yeah, we got to, right. I remember this. And,
1: and so they want professors and, you know, it, there's all this pressure on this age group to get vaccinated. The American College Health Association was given $2 million from the CDC to promote vaccination on these campuses. And they have social media kits um to combat misinformation. And I started thinking, like, why is it so important to them? That college students get targeted. I mean, maybe other populations are as well, but it's just in no word, in no world does this make sense anymore. Um, And I, I don't think you have to be an expert. I don't think you have to know every single study that's coming out every single day. I mean, you know, people, some things like, oh, somebody dies, it's the vaccine. You know, there's so many things happening. Even without any of that noise, this doesn't make any sense. There's no, this makes no sense scientifically. And, you know, I'm just, it's astounding that this continues.
0: It's absurd on its face. And, you know, you touched on something a moment ago that I think is even more insidious, this campaign of coercion, right? So even if mandates didn't exist, your coach, you know, you want to maintain that spot on your soccer team or on your rowing team Well, you have to get the mandate. If you want to, if you want to go to a concert on campus, if you want to go to on-campus, di- I mean, it's it's this this pressure campaign that even if it's not a law or even if the right. mandate is not official policy, it's unofficial policy. And in many ways, the coercion, I think, is more effective than the mandates in a bad way.
1: Oh, it's I think it's terrible. I mean, I I think a lot of kids have gotten the shot, like you said, to go to a concert. I mean, I, there, I was on a, a zoom meeting the other night with the parents whose daughter got this shot to go to a concert. She's no longer with us. You know, it, it, are these, like, are
0: these the Martins
1: by any chance? What's I What's their, Alan and it's Taylor Trista. Martin? It's yeah, it's Trista. Daughter's
0: yeah. Trista. I just interviewed them yesterday.
1: Yeah. It, it. so, I mean, so this, the social pressure to do things and, just the feeling that you're not doing your part. And I don't know if it's still this way, right? Cause if you don't get the shot, you're going to kill grandma. That's not the narrative anymore.
0: No, um, they've backed it, away from that.
1: They have, but here and here's part of the danger too. And I don't know how much time we have left, but all the time. Um, you... <laughs> like the whole notion that COVID is over, right? Yes. the civ- Civilians are like COVID is over. It's over. Yes. Just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? But just for me, there's still four or five places in my town where I cannot go without being tested, right? Mm. Um, There's never been any um acknowledgement from friends of mine who, you know, took their shot and showed their papers and went to places that excluded me that, you know, maybe that was like discrimination, right? So there's, there are all these things that are still impl- that, that everybody wants to just put down the memory hole because we can all go out and have fun again but if unless people really think about what happened and really reflect on it we're just sitting ducks for it to happen again and you know and I don't know what to do about that except to keep talking
0: about it i i think that's i think that's spot on you know what i'd love to see i'd love to see a revolution where families say you know what, we're not going to these, quote unquote, elite schools, like you said a moment ago, we're going to go because there's just not enough value there. We're getting mm-hmm. our children are getting indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. We're paying literally hundreds of 1000s of dollars to to have our children be indoctrinated. They come out of these institutions with warped minds, um, hating their country, hating their parents, parents, and in debt. For the rest of their lives, yeah, I would yeah. love to see the, this, you know, uh, kind of moving away from these institutions to more community-based things where the community has more control over what's happening mm-hmm. at, the, at these institutions. But I don't know how um, soon we're going to see that.
1: Well, I think it's starting. I really do. I mean, you look at places like um, Hillsdale College. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think their acceptance rate has, you know, continued to go down, right? The percentage percentage. So it's much more competitive than it was, say, five years ago. Um, the movement in Florida to, you know, stop some of the nonsense that's happening. I think Southern schools, the, um, application rates are up because they weren't, they didn't lock down. I mean, some of these schools, and it's easy to forget this when you just focus on the mandates. These kids were put in horrific conditions. I social isolation. Quarantine, faces covered all the time. The suicides. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't have the data before and after, but it seemed to me there were a lot of suicides in -hmm. that period. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, so we we really need to remember what has happened. You know, and and again, I don't want to be bitter toward friends of mine. I don't want to be bitter toward people who were just doing the best they could, but we also can't just say, okay, we're done. All clear.
0: No, I, I think, I think that's a great point. I mean, I don't think it's about vengeance, but I, I do think it's about some, at least some level of accountability. I mean, it's, it's not like, It's not like everybody got it wrong. There were people who were saying, you know, had their hands in the air who were saying, hey, wait a second, folks, you know, everything we're hearing is not 100% accurate. And these people were summarily censored. It wasn't even like, okay, let's have a debate, but I don't believe you. It was like, you know, we're going to shut you down.
1: Well, look at the great Barrington guys, you know, I mean, they were targeted and censored. And I mean... This should be the this, this subject of outrage at every household, this, like dinner table and right. crickets. I mean, most that's the beauty of censorship, right? People don't know they're being like, people don't know what's being withheld from them. That's, that's the beauty of it. You know, you just people don't know. We know, but I mean, I have a lot of friends, I call them civilian friends.
0: <laughs> right.
1: You know, and they don't know. And, Again, I don't, I have a lot of opinions on the broader issues, but Mm. the only thing that I try to do for this is just relentlessly medical choice must be restored to these students. Mm. We should not live in a country where it's acceptable for young people or anybody, anybody to have to lose their job, lose their education, lose their social status to get a product, a medical product that doesn't do them any good could potentially do them harm and doesn't do the community any good. I mean, if if you're going to mandate a product, right. And this is not my original thought. It has to be overwhelmed. Overwhelmingly proven to be absolutely safe and absolutely necessary and absolutely effective. When you don't meet those criteria, it should not be mandated. And yet here we are.
0: It it has, it has to be a choice. I think that's exactly Mm -hmm. right. Um, You said something very smart in one of our previous conversations. You said uh, if you had a message to get out to other parents, it would be find your tribe, find your people. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I think it's really important to realize that, you know, there are a lot of other people out there that think the way you do. It's just that you can't find them as a college parent because you're not in the same town. So you have to get on social media. You have to start putting your toe in the water and, you know, no college mandates has the telegram group. Everything can be found on their website. If you go on Twitter, um, you know, I'm lady, um, Spalding 11, you can follow me, you know, I'm going to be followed and interacting with a lot of people who have that like mindset. If you're interested in a particular school, I'll shout it out for you on Twitter, or that's how we got the, I think, um, trans Transylvania was one of the schools. Um, that somebody was looking at. So you just have to, you know, find those parents and then band together and, you know, talk about how you're going to navigate this mandate landscape. But my biggest advice is if your kid is not in college yet, do not go to school. You know, you go, you, you go to a school that has mandated at your own peril, you know, yeah. I, and I understand how difficult that is. Cause I, all of the schools on my kids list, Um, looking back, they were all mandate schools before the mandates were even a thing. They were every one
0: of them. So before enrollment is when parents have the most leverage. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then if you get, if for whatever reason you land in a mandate situation, you have to network with people who have been at that school, who understand how to get an exemption because you can get an exemption at most schools, mostly religious because medical exemptions are difficult to get still
0: thanks for coming by Joni and remember oh, new, new rule no more than two months before you come back
1: no oh, gosh I won't have anything new to say but
0: <laughs> we'll keep, I like
1: talking to you
0: we'll keep beating the same drum
1: all right thanks so much for having
0: me Mike